This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, hello everyone and welcome to another episode here at Tide Chasers Podcast. Once we would like, again, give you an opportunity to thank everyone for listening in every week and showing us all your support. Now, as always, myself and my co-host, Dan. How you doing over there, Dan? Doing great, man. Happy to happy to have our guest on today. How are you doing? Good, good. Uh, season's starting to pick up. We're about to start making a little bit more and more trips in here and there. Work never got in our ways, but you know. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm excited for the flounder fishery to open up and everything else to start hustle and bustle in the summer summer seasons fast upon us yes sir but uh besides that once again ladies and gentlemen we try to sit down every week with different guests every week to bring you the latest technique tackle tips tricks to help you become a better angler in the end goal that's just our job to hook up with all the local talents and just to make you guys a better fisherman all in all now today's guest today's local talent we love he loves to fish the fresh water now he doesn't don't say he doesn't fish a lot of salt but he loves that sweet water does a lot of local lakes and pond fishing and recently recently just gotten into the highly elusive musky now we all wanted that fish with 10,000 casts um hopefully tyler can give us a little bit more in-depth secret on how to maybe possibly put one in your net now we'll touch bases on his focuses and how he got started and then go into what he has learned in the past few seasons as a musky hunter now just get just this he isn't a pro no one's ever a pro at musky fishing musky every single season is different their patterns change we know people that's been doing it for 40 years and they still don't call themselves pros so musky is one of those you really can't be a pro you just got to dive into it cast till your arms fall off and hopefully put one in the net now before we get started if you haven't already done so please make sure you like subscribe share and leave us a feedback on your favorite podcast platforms also if you haven't already followed us on facebook it's at tide chasers podcast and also on ig at tide underscore chasers now without me rambling on and further ado i'd like to introduce to you and welcome our guest tyler wilchak how you doing tyler good how are you guys doing great man uh, yeah, happy yeah, to have you on today 
Yep. Fantastic. Awesome. All right. Um, now, before we get started, um, let's get a little bit of your background. How'd you get into the sport? You know, what, what you, where, what areas that you, you know, grinded your teeth on? How'd you get started in this whole thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I first started out fishing mostly saltwater. Uh, my grandfather had a boat down in the uh, Delaware Bay area. So we would go out of Roosevelt Inlet, uh, fish for flounder mostly on the Delaware Bay. Uh, basically, my parents had me out there with my grandfather ever since I was in a car carrier. So from a very young age. Um, and that's really where I started to develop my passion for fishing. And then uh, as I got older, I started going out fishing more freshwater with some friends. And then um, here within the last five, six, seven years, I've really started to ramp up the amount of fishing I'm doing, both freshwater and as much saltwater as I can with my dad um, and my friends. And um, my dad is my co-angler. Whenever I'm going out fishing, it's, most of the time it's with him. Um, so I owe a lot of me getting into fishing and what I do with fishing to him. Uh, well, I think, yeah, pretty much a lot of us, and if not, you know, most of us, uh, I think our dad was our inspiration. Uh, I think Dan's a little different. Right. Yeah, my mom, it was my mom. My dad worked overnights at General Motors for 33 years, and my mom would be the one that would take us, and she loved it. She loved being on the water, so that's where I got it from was my mom. My dad absolutely hated anything to do with fishing, outdoors, anything, so I, I got it from my mom. She's She was the beach lover. She was the water lover, and that's, <laughs> that's where my, my passion came from, thankfully, because you know it, I love it, so I'm, I'm glad she was the one that pushed me in that direction, and then as I got older, uh, I met my wife, my father-in-law became another influence for me and the, the rest is history. So, man, it's pretty awesome. All right. Well, let's just kick this off. Um, now, Tyler, being a multi-species angler, I often find it very interesting that um, more, most anglers are not, they kind of pick either their salt or their fresh. I mean, not a hybrid in between. Um, some consider themselves bass fishermen, musket fishermen, fluke fishermen, but you're pretty much the jack of all trades. If we would say that, uh, what fishery gets you most excited and, to plan for, Ashley? You know, this is a really hard question for me to answer. I get asked this quite a bit and I think about it a lot. Um, you know, just fishing in general excites me so much. Just the ability to learn about a new fishery, learn how to target a new species, go out there and try to replicate it. Um, you know, and I think being a multi-species angler is something that takes a lot of patience and a lot of time because you're constantly trying to learn as much as you can about different fisheries. And also at the same time, you have to go out there and put into practice what you're learning and trying to get that time on the water to do, you know, half a dozen different things can be pretty difficult, but it's also really rewarding when you go out and you put the time in, you finally find something uh, new that works for you and you're able to succeed with it. You know, and for me personally, I think it kind of depends on the season in uh, spring. So, you know, last couple of weeks and months, I've been doing a lot of trout fishing. Then as it transitions to summer, I do more fishing on small rivers uh, and going out, taking my boat out on the lake, and then also getting as much saltwater fishing as I can as well. You know, I live about uh, two, three hours from the nearest major sources of saltwater fishing. So, um, you know, kind of limited on time there, but I do try to get as much into that as I can. Yeah, I, I you know, I often talk to people about like the, 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 the what it takes to be a multi-species angler, like you can't have the same setup for a muskie that you would have for a trout or for a flounder or a sheep's head. So to learn these fisheries, like it's, it's a lot of work. Like I, I, I tell people they're like, what do you fish for? I said, well, one day I could be fishing for salmon. The next day I could be fishing for redfish. It really depends on my mood. I'm like the ADD fisherman. I, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to be fishing for next. It's like, uh, it, I, I have a hard time choosing because there's so much opportunity in our area. The mid Atlantic is, is, I mean, from New York to, to Virginia, there's so many different opportunities there. It's, it's amazing. But again, there's a lot of work 
put into our craft to be able to be successful smallmouth fishing one day than to be able to go and pound on some flounder but the, the the difference is a lot of these techniques overlap like i got really good walleye fishing and i think it improved my flounder fishing in the in the summer right after that so there's a lot there is some overlap in the techniques that you're using but the gear is usually totally different yeah, I would agree with that. I think there's a lot of similarities that you can start to draw between different kinds of fisheries. Maybe you learn something, like you said, that helps you in another area, but also it's a lot of investment because I've got probably eight or nine different rods. I start to lose count and uh, I've got maybe five or six different tackle bags that are just filled with different lures and rigs and all kinds of different things. So if you have the patience for it, you have the drive for it, and you're willing to invest a little bit of money, then you can become a multi-species angler too. Tyler, I think I have eight or nine rods in my car right now. (laughs) (laughs) I went from pike fishing to salmon fishing, to trout fishing, to um, now I'm going flounder fishing probably this coming week. So it's just one of those things. It's, it's, it's an endless cycle of gear. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to agree. I'm going to chime in on that because I've always kind of been just that saltwater guy born, raised in saltwater. Whenever someone talked about freshwater, I was like, "Hmm, Mm. freshwater. But um, honestly, in the past, maybe probably two, three, maybe four seasons, I've gotten back trying give it. I I gave myself a chance to touch freshwater. Like uh, you know, Dan got me started on snakeheads. Now I'm pretty much addicted to snakeheads. Uh, uh, our our good friend Bobby, you know, got me into fly. You know, two years ago, and now now when I'm an addict, I'm like consistently buying fly rods left and right. I'm trying to catch everything on a, fr- uh, a fly. You know, it doesn't matter what kind of species it is. I'm bringing my fly rod everywhere I go. I'm walking down the beach. I'll carry one fly rod on my hip, and I got a spin rod on the other hip. I'm just like, you know what? I'm doing it both. Uh, I picked up my first decent size uh, smallie last week on a fly. So it was it was That's a decent awesome. fi- it was a decent fish. So I was like, I was super happy about it. And you know, the the boys were like, you know, just throw top water. They would smash it all day. I was like. I mean, I could, and then, you know, I could ten, land 10, 15 fish all day, but you know what? I brought the fly wad, I stuck to my guns, and then, you know, I picked that, I picked out three fish that day. That, you know, I think that was 15, 16 inch small. That was my first one. And, you know, it, that, that made it all worth it. I didn't care about 15, 20 fish a day. I just wanted that one on the fly. Yeah, it's definitely very rewarding when you get that first fish doing a new technique. And, you know, you got to be willing to accept that you might go out there the first time and not catch anything. You just got to keep at it. All right, so spinning back to that that first question. So, uh, what fishery does get you excited? There's got to um, be one. I mean, I know there's a lot, but there's got to be one that kind of gets your 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 blood flowing when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, I would say that um, you know, there's a couple with musky fishing, for example. There is no adrenaline rush like finally hitting a musky, you know, and getting a musky to to hit your lure. I I don't know that I've ever <laughs> shaken so much as I have when I lift the musky up out of the water you know, for that quick picture before I let it go. I mean, that's an adrenaline rush. Um, you know, fluke fishing gets me pretty excited just because that takes me back to my roots. Um, and being able to land a nice one is something that I really enjoy doing, uh, because I don't get to do it that often, but a lot of times, uh, freshwater fishing in small rivers, that's what I'm doing most often. Cause that's more convenient for me, uh, with schedule and other things. Cool. All right. So I, I'm assuming this is going to, that's already going to knock out my next question. Cause I was going to ask you, what was your favorite species to target? So would we, well, can we confirm that it's going to be musky? Musky is definitely one of them. It's right up there with one all of my right. top species to target. Yep. But you know, cool. trout, bass, walleye, fluke, love them all. All right. Um, yeah. We, we just learned recently that you uh, got into fly fishing. Um, how long you've been doing it? Who got you into it? 
So I had a very good teacher for fly fishing. Uh, I got started a little over a year ago. So March of 2020, uh, my good friend who you both know, Bobby Norgard, he got me into fly fishing. Uh, you know, Bobby had been talking to me for a while about him taking me out, learning how to fly fish sometime. And um, when the whole coronavirus thing started and a lot of places got shut down, including my work, he said, well, you're off. Now's a good time to learn. So uh, he took me out, taught me how to fly fish. I was able to catch my uh, first couple fish on that first trip. And, you know, ever since I've been trying to learn more about fly fishing and uh, do more of it and get better at it as well. And it's been pretty exciting, something I never thought I'd really be able to, to do or get into. And it's been pretty cool to learn it. Yeah, I'm going to agree, man. Bobby, great teacher. I mean, I, I keep pushing him. I'm like, dude, you need to be an instructor or like just run, you know, like an out and outfitter and just take people fishing. You know, it's he has the patience, you know, he has the patience. He teaches really well. And he's all about like getting putting people on fish. And his the joy of him is actually seeing us catch fish. Let me guess. He spoiled you by taking you to the dream mile. He did take me to the Dream Mile. Yep, that was my first ever fly fishing experience. Uh, it's a really cool place. And I would agree with you that, you know, it almost got to the point where I felt bad that Bobby wasn't fishing and he wasn't catching fish. But I think he just had a, you know, pure enjoyment of watching me learn and trying to teach me and watching me catch fish. So I couldn't have asked for a better teacher to learn how to get into fly fishing. Yeah, I'm agree with that. He he totally spoiled us, though, with the Dream Mile. When we go into any other little body lakes of water, it's just like, man, this is so hard. <laughs> we get to we get to the we get to the dream mile. We're, we're we're picking out 15, 20 inch trout like it's nothing. But then you go into a smaller stream, you're like, oh man, I can't even catch one today. Yep, I've been there, done that plenty of times here. You know, locally, trying to go out on the streams and replicate the same things that Bobby was showing me. I'm like, oh yeah, this is a little bit harder than what it was up there at Dream Mile. So guys out there, if you know Bobby, and if he ever tries to take you out and he takes you to the Dream Mile, don't expect that on any other other body of water. That's just that's just we, there's a reason we all call it the Dream Mile. That's why because it's made of dreams. Everything's in there. Everything's big, and everything eats everything in there. So, um, so, is that, so is that the go, training grounds for you guys? The training uh, grounds? Um, yeah, literally, that is the training ground. Any noob can walk in there and pick up a fish. You that's know what like, I mean? That's but, what I call that one snakehead spot too. That's yeah, the training grounds. But I mean, fish are in there some days. They're real picky. I mean, not every day is a sleigh day for us in there, you know, but I mean, but it's the perfect training ground because it has all the perfect runs, the perfect structure, the perfect rocks, the boulders, the sand, every, every structure you can possibly think of in a trout situation that dream mile has it. And that's Bobby's backyard. So he knows it like the back of his hand. So he, he will definitely know where to take you to teach you properly. Gotcha. So, um, so Tyler, what would be, say, your most impressive fish on the fly? Yeah, I don't think I've caught anything really monster size on the fly yet. Something that really stands out as a, wow, that was an extraordinary catch. Um, you know, most of the trout I've caught or the biggest ones have been in the mid-teen range. Um, but I would say the one that really does stand out to me is my first fish on the fly. Because mm -hmm. that's something that, you know, I didn't ever think I would get into fly fishing. I, I thought it always looked a little bit, you know, too difficult for me or something that didn't really fit my style. Um, but when I was actually able to go out in the first couple hours and land a fish on the fly on a, a dry fly, I believe that was pretty exceptional um, because it's very rewarding to see, okay, this is something totally different than I've never done before. And I was able to go out here and, uh, and actually be successful with it. All right. Um, so, all right, let's get into the nitty gritty. Uh, when 
Everyone wants to know about it. Uh, you've been targeting muskies on some of our local lakes. Now we, we're not going to give out specific lakes, guys. I know that's what you guys were hoping for, <laughs> but we're not we're not going to give out any of Tyler's special specific lakes because you got to figure some of the lakes he fishes is barely an acre, maybe less than that. And you know, with us, you know the way we are. We don't we don't we don't approve of spot burning and stuff like that. I mean, he'll give you an idea of what types of lakes for. I mean, there are probably big popular lakes that he'll 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 talk about. But there, there's a little honey hole lakes that he's he's going to keep to himself because, you know, I mean, we can't be all musky slayers. So, uh, so you target them on the and also just just to break through that, have you targeted them on the river system lakes or is it just lakes? Um, when I first got into musky fishing, you know, that's a question I was asking myself. Okay, what's the best place to target them, rivers or lakes? And I kind of leaned more towards doing it on a lake because, you know, we think about musky, the fish of ten thousand casts, really hard to find. In a river system or most river systems around my area, they're going to be very spread out. Um, you're going to have to do a lot of searching to try to find a muskie. Whereas if you're going on a lake, it's still a low percentage fishery, but you're upping your odds of coming across one because they are confined to certain areas of that body of water. Um, and, you know, I would just say that one of the ways I got started with finding spots is going on the uh, Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission's website because a lot of the places there, that are stocked with muskies, you know, in your area, you can check it out and you can see, um, it's certainly not going to let you go out there and just catch one on the first try, but can at least give you an opportunity to, uh, check out some areas that you could go to. All right. Uh, so you, we don't, have you ever fished river systems for muskies or attempted? Uh, once or twice, I think when I first got started with muskie fishing, um, you know, I would take some big whopper ploppers, down to uh, one of the mouths of the small rivers near my area and uh, where it dumps out into the Susquehanna. I knew there had been some muskies sighted there. So uh, I would take some of that stuff down and throw around there for a little bit, but uh, you know, never really got a good look at anything, never got any bites. So that's when I made the transition over to fishing for them on lakes more than anything. Now, would you say when you're, you're, um, you're approaching these uh, different systems, um, does you, does it change your technique or your tactic, or do you kind of use the same mindset and ideas of gear and tactics and uh, tackle just to approach these fish mm -hmm. in different body bodies of water? Um, I would say that I've really started to hone in on one particular technique and look for the same situation each body of water that I go to. Um, so a lot of what I'm using is my electronics. I have a couple of Garmin fish finders on my boat and I'm looking for the muskies down in the water on my fish finders, trying to see, you know, if you think about what a bass might look like on a fish finder or another fish, you see that small arch muskies now look like a much larger arch on your fish finder. So if you're able to locate that, then you know that you're, you're in the right area for muskie. Um, cause a lot of times I'm targeting them in deeper water. I'm not targeting them right along the, the bank or the shoreline, uh, maybe like some other anglers would. Gotcha. All right. Um, here's my question. I've always wondered. So, all right, we say, um, I'm just going to name a popular Creek that we, everyone knows has muskie in it. Uh, Marsh Creek, right? So we know Marsh Creek is uh, it's rated in PA as one of the uh, most populated muskie. Um, even though we they we know that there's a healthy big population of muskie at Marsh Creek, do you feel that they are very pressured in fishing? You know, with fishermen, or do you feel that uh, even though the abundance of muskie in Marsh Creek is there, that it's still just as hard because now they're wary of that many fishers fishermen's targeting them. I feel like it's a little bit of both. I do a lot of musky fishing on Marsh Creek. Actually, I was just out yesterday um, trying to do some musky fishing. And there's certainly a lot of musky anglers out there. Um, you know, you always hear the, the big splashes on the water from a boat over 
you know, to your right or left and you think, oh yeah, they're a musky angler, they're targeting them. Um, there are a lot of musky in that lake. There's some really big musky in there, but at the same time, they do face a lot of pressure and it's already a really hard fish to be able to land uh, and entice. So yeah, you're going to have to spend a lot of time on that body of water to try to find them and, um, you know, find a way to present a lure to them, maybe in a way that another angler isn't. All right. Um, here's my, here, here's, here's a quick question I wanted to, I, I wanted to touch on. Um, till this day, how many numbers of muskies have you landed? How many have you put in that boat? Mm-hmm. It's just always a number. I always ask all muskie fishermen. Sure. So I have been muskie fishing. This will be my fourth year of doing it. And I've caught two. I've caught one in each of the last years. Um, you know, now as a multi-species angler, I'm not always going out and targeting muskie. But every time I go to Marsh Creek, I have the muskie rod in the boat with me. Um, and I would say, you know, it's, it's very humbling. It really is to go out there and have the mindset that, you know, you're probably not going to catch a fish just because they're, they're so, uh, I want to say finicky, you know, that they might not even bite your lure, even if they're looking at it, it's dropping right in front of their face. Um, but when you do finally land one, it is, it's one of the most rewarding things in fishing to know this is the top predator in freshwater fishing. And you're able to go out and land one and put a nice one in the boat. I mean, there's no other feeling like that. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I, when I caught mine, I, I've caught one. And it was a bycatch. I was actually fishing for panfish on Marsh Creek. And I had six pound test line on it. I had a one inch lure and I fought this fish for like 20, 25 minutes because it was just pulling me all over the place. I had to finesse it because I didn't have the, the right kind of power to do so. But once I landed that fish, like it was completely exhilarating. Like I was shaken for, for so long. It was ridiculous. And then the, being able to revive that fish after such a long fight and see it go back and all that good stuff. It there, that, that's probably still my most memorable fishing moment I've ever had. I mean, the odds were stacked against me on that fish and it's still, it still actually happened, but now I, I gotta get, I gotta get one on purpose. I've, I've tried a couple of times. I haven't put a lot of effort into it, but I plan to ramp it up. So I totally agree with you. Like the, the euphoria you feel once you've actually put one of those fish in the boat, it's, it's like not, nothing else. Yeah. And they're very unpredictable. You know, uh, for example, yesterday when I was out marked a lot of really nice fish on the graph, um, you know, using the same techniques that have produced for me in the past and, you know, nothing bit. Um, no fish, unfortunately. So, you know, that's just kind of how it goes. There's a reason why they call it the fish of 10,000 casts. Uh, sometimes it takes you well under 10,000 to get it. Other times it feels like it might take way more than that in order to get a nice fish. Um, yeah. I mean, two fish in four years, that's, that's still a feat a lot of people can't do. Um, Dan knows. Um, what's his name? Is, is it Dave from SFO? Fred. Fred. Fred from SFO. He's been doing for how long? You, you know, you know, you know the info. I think, said, I think he said 40 years. Yeah. He said 40 years and how many he had actually landed a lot, <laughs> lots, right? A lot. But, but I mean, he, he, he'll say like some years he'll catch two or three, some years he'll catch six, some years he'll catch 20. Like it, it really is. It's, it's not about the effort because he puts the time in. However, it's about the fish, the fish, like you said, Tyler is completely unpredictable. Um, I have a couple of buddies that do amazing just walleye fishing on the rivers and catch catch tons of them so you know you 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 see people running into them more when they're not trying to when than when they're actually out there targeting them yeah and i will say i've learned more in the past two years um and being able to target them and catch them successfully than i was in the first two years the first two years i was in a very much green amateur running around the lake trying to figure out what to do 
and didn't have very much success at all. All right. Well, you said you've been targeting for four years. Now, um, in those four years, do you, have, do you think you have enough time on the watch to actually develop a pattern for muskets, even though we said they're unpredictable? Have you somewhat figured out a sort of pattern for them seasonally, maybe? Mm-hmm. I've definitely started to figure out a pattern for them. Um, a lot of what I look for is, as I said earlier, deeper water musky um, in that 10 to 15 foot range, maybe slightly deeper than that, but not much. And essentially what I'm doing for them is jigging them. Um, I'm dropping a lure straight down to the bottom. I'm pulling it up three, four feet off the bottom and just letting it slow fall or slowly fall back down to the bottom. And a lot of times the muskie will hit on the fall as the lure is falling back down. And, um, you know, I've had most of my success either in early summer or in the fall. Um, and I've caught them both in the morning and in the evening. So I would say that I'm starting to develop the pattern as far as what to do to catch them. Um, but where I'm still trying to figure things out is the timing, the time of day, the right time of year. Um, you know, but I would definitely say that over the, the middle of the summer, I don't target them as much because once the water warms up too much, it's not healthy for the fish. Um, in order to go out there, you know, you're going to stress a muskie out a lot if you catch it in very warm water. Um, for example, Marsh Creek, I've seen Marsh Creek's water temperatures go up to 95 degrees one July. That's really warm, way too warm to uh, be able to catch a muskie and successfully release it without that fish having a, a pretty good chance of dying when you let it go. Yeah, that's a, that's a big thing out there. I mean, you see a lot of people that, that a lot of people became musky anglers through the pandemic, right? So, so a lot of people out there targeting them middle of summer like it's like oh what are you doing and uh the the education on these fish about how to properly care for them i think is lacking because there's a lot of people that are out there not properly reviving these fish you see red fins and everything and it's 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 kind of scary that these fish that we're putting so much time and effort into are not being properly cared for when we encounter them so i think it's very smart for people to to do the right thing to learn how to catch these fish, but then also learn how to properly let them go. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. I mean, they take a really long time to grow to those trophy size fish um, that many musky anglers are chasing after. And you definitely want to make sure that you're taking care of them and releasing them so they can continue to grow even bigger or, you know, make more muskies that are going to turn into future trophies for another angler down the road. And, you know, I think too, it's just general education. Like you said, you know, maybe there's many people that they catch one by accident. Um, you know, and it's a really big muskie and they're not quite sure what to do with it because they've never handled anything like it before. And, um, you know, maybe that's where things go wrong that if they would know a little bit more about, uh, muskies and, you know, ways to handle them and get them to be released successfully, that would change. Yeah. I think that the lack of us running into them frequently doesn't allow for the education for everybody as a whole. You know, when I see one of those big 40 plus 50 plus inch fish being held vertically, it's just like makes me gives me like i cringe i can't stand seeing stuff like that so but yeah i mean proper proper care is more than half the battle of these fish because we want to keep we want to keep catching them we want to keep encountering them so all right so um let's get into the uh your setup um i figure you would have multiple setups on the boat so let's let's go through them uh rod line reels lures and stuff like that what do you usually typically throw for them So my setup is actually relatively simple. Uh, What I've got is a St. Croix Premier Muskie Rod. It's a seven foot medium heavy uh, fast action. And I've got a a Shimano Calcutta 400B, which is a heavy duty casting reel on it. Um, And I'm using 50 pound 
PowerPro braided line. So you definitely want a really heavy braided line because, um, you know, muskies, they've got teeth like razor blades. They're going to be, you know, if your lure is anywhere near um, those teeth on the inside of their mouth, it's going to be cutting away at it. So you want something that's really thick and really heavy braided line. I've also got uh, these big fluorocarbon leaders. Um, they're actually just made by VMC and they sell them in like multi-packs. I think they're rated at 80 pound test. Um, so they're really good as well. So you have the, the main braided line connected to that leader and it's a great way to um, prevent you know yourself from getting cut off. I've actually, I can feel on the leaders after I catch a muskie, I can feel where the teeth has been rubbing up against it. And you know, it, it still holds up. If you had some sort of lesser line or lesser leader, they're going to cut right through it. Um, and I've got a bunch of different kinds of lures. I've got some big whopper ploppers and jitterbugs for top water. Uh, I've got some bulldogs, um, some big jerk baits, but the go-to bait that has been a game changer for me is called the Bondi bait. It's made by John Bondi and the Bondi bait company. It's a big seven ounce, seven and a half inch soft plastic with a wire body in it. And it's just this huge jig. It, it looks almost a little obnoxious. It's so big, but um, that's what I'm using. And that's what I've caught my muskies on. Um, just to kind of show you how successful that is. So the first two years that I was just using, you know, bulldogs, jerk baits, top water, no muskies. First time I ever bought a Bondi bait and went out within an hour, I had a 40 plus, 40 plus inch muskie. Second year went out. Um, you know, at that point I hadn't gotten much musky fishing in until the fall, went out on a musky trip, 45 minutes in, landed another fish. So that bait has been absolute game changer, uh, for me, John Bondi, wherever he is right now, I got to say a big thank you because <laughs> <laughs> I would not have the fish of 10,000 casts if it wasn't for that bait. Very nice. So you're a believer in the Bondi bait. So we'll have to check that out. Yeah, definitely. Um, musky is definitely on my bucket list. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll eat it up and get one on a spin first and then uh, I'll make the attempt on the fly later, <laughs> but yeah, um, end of season, hopefully fall, I'm going to try to plan a trip down to Virginia to get on blue Ridge muskie, like Sam Scott, get, take make book a trip, get out here with them, pick up some big muskies. Uh, I'm trying, I'm probably going to get Sam on sooner or later onto the podcast. So he can kind of give a, he's like, Larry, the freaking the professor of muskies down there. He does the whole tagging, the taking care of everything down there. So hopefully I can get Sam on sooner or later on this podcast. Yeah, it looks really cool being able to catch a muskie on the fly. I've watched a number of YouTube videos or seen some uh, people on social media that have caught them on the fly. And I think, wow, that looks really cool. I'm sure that's a, a great experience to do battle, you know, hand-to-hand -hand combat almost with the muskie on a fly rod. So I'm hoping, you know, maybe someday down the road, I'll be able to have that opportunity to do that as well. I, w I watched that happen right in front of me while I was walleye fishing, which is probably why I wasn't catching any walleye. I was standing at the end of the dock. This, this, this kid comes up on his, uh, little, little, little jet boat and skips a, a streamer, like a seven inch orange streamer up under the dock and lands with like a 38 inch musky right under my feet. That's crazy. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He goes, well, that's probably why you're not catching any fish. And then he, he proceeded to try and get a picture of the fish try to get out of his boat. I had to take the pictures and save his life because he got into the, he slid down the bank and water was coming into his waders <laughs> just to try and get a picture. I was like, man, that's karma. You stole that right from me right there. But yeah, it's, I still have the pictures on my phone actually that I took for him and sent to him. It's funny. The things we do to catch fish and yeah. get a picture of them, right? Yeah. Like take the fit, take the picture on your boat. What's wrong with your boat? He had a nice boat. 
<laughs> guess he wanted to make it believe he didn't catch it on the boat. He wanted to make it look like he was a bank angler. <laughs> so do you, do you, is there a time of day that you, you like, I know you haven't, you said timing, you haven't figured out yet, but is there a time of day where you prefer to, to try? Yeah, I always like to fish, you know, early morning. Um, I've, I've been kind of programmed with that school of thought that you want to go out there early morning um, and try to catch them or you know, maybe in the evening too. I find that morning usually works best with me going out and scheduling wise. Um, but, you know, I, I definitely don't know that I would be out there in the middle of the day trying to catch a musk. I mean, it's hard enough with some other species to go out in the, the middle of the afternoon and be able to target them, uh, let alone a fish that, you know, you're already going to have to work five times as hard to try to get them. Gotcha. So that, that fluorocarbon leader, you, have you ever tried any like metal leaders or anything like that? I do have some uh, steel leaders that I used to keep in my river bag for when I go out to the small river. Cause there is a, there are a few muskies in there, but they're very rare, yeah. uh, even more rare than they would be on a lake. But um, I actually got turned on to these fluorocarbon leaders by someone at a local tackle shop uh, years ago, they recommended them to me and gave them a try and they worked great. So um, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to, to go out and, and have them and you know, that they work well, uh, and usually you can get them in a multi-pack. So you've got a couple of them with you on the boat. Well, I, I could tell you this, if you're ever looking for additional, uh, musky consideration, musky Intel, Fred over at sport fishing outlet is like the godfather. I I've talked to him for years when he was at French Creek outfitters, and he's always willing to give up a little bit of something if you go in there and have a chat with him. So. If you're trying cool. to get some new tactics and that store's great. We love sport fishing outlet. They're a friend of the show. So, um, Freddie's great. So I would, I would recommend we're going to have him on at some point too. So, um, we already talked to him about coming on, but he is like a wealth of knowledge in the musky world. He, he does the muskies ink stockings, things like that. So he's part of the New Jersey chapter. So he's, he lives, lives and dies and breathes musky. So that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's the guy to talk to. Cause that, that, I've spent probably, God, I'll go in and buy one thing and spend 40 minutes talking to the guy when I, when I when he used to be right down the road from me. So yeah, that's now, great gonna, to hear. Yeah. He's a, he's a good dude. Lots of great knowledge and he, he loves those fish. I mean, he'll, he'll tell you, he'll give you some off the beaten path type recommendations, which I would have never considered. So it's worth, worth chatting with him. Yeah. I'll have to check that out and, uh, and I'll have to give him a, a call sometime or stop by and talk to him. Yeah. Um, and I would say, you know, a lot of times too, some of your best information, if you're trying to get started in targeting muskies can be from other, you know, muskie anglers who've had a lot of experience, but you know, sometimes they're, they're pretty tight lipped, um, you know, because th these fish are so hard to catch that, um, you know, sometimes depending on the person, they might be a little hesitant to, you know, give you a lot of information. Um, but when you do find someone who is able to share something with you, you know, usually it's always very valuable. And, um, I've always appreciated anything that another muskie angler has shared with me as I, you know, get started in this fishery. Gotcha. Now we're going to transition to the, uh, the, the saltwater fishing that you get into. Um, now you, you do some salt, what, what, what timing do you typically time your saltwater? Like when you wrap up your freshwater season, like when you said you want, you stop musky like June or so because of the water temperatures, is that when you switch to like the summer saltwater fishing or do you have a specific time or, or, or season or fish that you're targeting that, that makes you jump back into it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so normally over the middle of the summer is when I'm doing most of my saltwater fishing. It's when I have most of my free time. And also, you know, if I'm not doing as much freshwater fishing, if the rivers are pretty low or if it's pretty warm waters around here, um, I'll take some day trips down to Ocean City, Maryland. I'll get up at three o'clock in the morning and be down there by the time the sun comes up. And um, mostly I'm targeting flounder. I'm going out flounder fishing. Um, I'm targeting them from shore. 
or, you know, I'll go out on a boat as well. Maybe take some charter trips out trying to catch sea bass or the other fish I really love to catch. Um, so I'll go out and fish for them and, um, do a lot of day trips for flounder. Or usually I'll take a, a week long vacation down to ocean city, Maryland, and I might spend one hour on the beach the whole weekend. And the rest of the time I'm out fishing. Yeah. Ocean city, Maryland is one of my spots. I love it. I love it down there. Love it. I've been going there since I was a teenager, but I just recently started going back and I've, I've found some, some pretty, pretty incredible, like the, the late season Bay flounder bite there is incredible. Like in October, it's amazing. Like you can stand, stand on the bank and, and catch all you want. And it's, it's pretty cool. Whereas up here, you know, we lose our, we lose our season a month earlier and those fish, you'll still find fish in the Bay up into, into November in ocean city, Maryland, which it's, it's, it's a cool place to fish. I think, cause you have a lot of different opportunities. You have some overlap with some of those Southern species coming up. And then you also have, uh, you know, you have your, you have drum there. You'll have black drum, red drum, sheep's heads there. There's, there's a lot of opportunity there. Speckled trout. Like that's like the southernmost tip where you get a lot of those species. Whereas it, you, they wouldn't be considered unicorns there. Whereas here, you know, we talk about those fish as unicorns. So. Yeah. And like you said, the, the flounder fishing down in ocean city, Maryland, it could be good, you know, uh, starting in May all the way through October, early November. So there's yeah. definitely a lot of opportunity to go down there and, uh, and get a nice fish or have a good day. Yeah. I mean, I, my, my second biggest shore based flounder I caught was there 26 and a half inch, six and a half pound flounder on October 17th in the bay on, on my feet. It was pretty cool. Wow. That's an awesome fish. Yeah. That really is so, a cool experience. Yeah. So the, the late season fish, like usually you hear all the big fish have moved out of the bays and everything. It's, it's not, that's not 100% true anymore. I mean, even up here, we're finding them, you know, when we switch over to that fall fishery for striped bass, we're getting, you know, nice size flounder tight to shore and still in some of the bay waters on SP minnows and stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I'm a flounder guy, so I, I love it. Fluke, fluke is like my, probably one of my first, probably my first or second favorite fish to target. So. Yeah, they are a lot of fun. Definitely my favorite saltwater fish to target. Now, when you, when you are saltwater fishing, are you typically fishing from a boat kayak or uh, I know you said you uh, do the, the bank, the, the bank angling a little bit as well. Is there one thing that you do a little bit more than the other? I would say the last few years, it's been more so uh, fishing from the shore. Uh, just because, you know, my grandfather, while he did have a saltwater boat for many years, has gotten out of that. Um, so I've been doing a lot from shore, which, you know, presents a lot of challenges. You're much more limited to the areas where you can fish. Um, you got to be a little bit more selective with where you go and the timing. But I've um, been doing more of that. And then occasionally, you know, when I do book a, a charter trip, I'll go out either offshore or sometimes even just booking a, a back bay trip. You know, if you go down to some of these shore towns, there's lots of little flounder boats that go around the back bays for a couple hours in, in the afternoon. And that's a fun day as well. Um, but a lot of shore fishing for me here recently. All right. What type of setup are you using for that shore fishing for flounder? Mm -hmm. um, my rod that I use for flounder fishing is my favorite rod out of all the ones I have. It's a, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, then we have something in common then. It's a, uh, a seven foot St. Croix Mojo inshore. And I've got a pen battle <laughs> 2,500 reel on it. Um, and it's the most well-balanced rod and reel combo that I have. Uh, I love that setup and I'm running 15 pound braid on it. And usually I fish a lot of, uh, bucktails. So somewhere around three quarter ounce, depending on the depth 
I'll be fishing those bucktails with um, some gulp swing mullets as the teaser. Or I've started using a lot of just regular saltwater jig heads and putting some sort of soft plastic on it uh, by Z-Man. I've started to use those as well. And then I'll, um, I'll use those when I'm fishing from shore. Gotcha. See, my, my setup is, is fairly similar. I, I use a um, St. Croix Avid inshore, um, but I, mine's a 6.6 six, six, uh, six, six, um, size, and it's medium heavy rated to an ounce and a quarter. Um, but I, I do, I'm a single jig guy. I, that's all I do. I, a single jig and, and gulp. Uh, I'll use either 15. I think I scaled back to 15 on my fluke rod this year, but I used to use 20 pound test with a uh, 15 pound fluoro and, um, or 17 pound fluoro, depending upon how rocky the area is. Cause I do fish a, cu- a couple sticky patches, but I do about three feet of fluoro with a FG knot. And a single jig head, I use eye strike jig heads. Those are my thing. And I try to get away with as little and light as possible as I can. Um, I got to learn some new techniques last year where I'm using quarter ounce jig heads uh, oceanfront. And it was just, it was a blast. So there's so many different ways to target these fish. And it's, it's, it's really, it's really cool to keep learning. So, but quarter, a quarter ounce jig head with a, a five inch jerk shad or six inch jerk shad. And it's amazing the amount of fish you can pull out of the wash with that setup. Yes. Yeah. And I, when I was younger, primarily it was using bait, you know, have a top and bottom rig squid and shiner combo, cast that out there, let it sit, you know, see what picks it up. But, um, as I got older, I thought, you know, I'm I'm really tired of letting the blue crabs just pick apart my bait before a fluke even gets anywhere near it. So I started making the transition over to just using artificials, um, for them. And I've had a blast ever since I've been doing it. And, you know, I think I've heard you say before that there are some similarities, in, at least in my mind, between fishing for flounder uh, using a jig and fishing for walleye using oh, yeah. a jig. Um, it's it's amazing kind of the the parallels and the similarities between the two. Yeah, I mean, my, my walleye fishing game is what really brought my fluke fishing game along because uh, t- late 2017, I, I was hitting walleyes hard in the river and it's rocky, rocky patches, you know, light jigs, you know, creeping along the bottom, twitches, twitches, thump. Same exact way that I fish for flounder. You know, it's just literally the same exact way. Now, um, it helped me hone in on my techniques and like look for different little patterns, I guess is the the best way to put it. But um, it allows you to be able to fish lighter than you believe you should. Because I don't know about you. I've been out fishing on the banks and seen people throwing like one ounce, two ounce bucktails from shore. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like now you're, you're going to mess up me trying to fish because you're throwing like these, these dumbbells into the water while while I'm over here trying to be finessing. And and it's just like, there's, 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 it's amazing how little people know that they can get away with a lot less. And we've talked about that on previous podcasts too. Like uh, Lee Wakefield, for example, I mean, he's, he's using like the lightest possible jig he possibly can lightest bucktails he can and lets it swing in the current, lets the current do the work. You know, obviously you got to really hone in on your technique because that will allow for some bites that you may not be able to detect like you would like your typical thump, but it's a lot more fun when you can, when you can finesse them up. I, I, in my opinion, anyway, I don't, I, I don't like the fish as I light, lightest possible tackle I can get away with is what I want to catch all my fish on. No, I agree with that. And I, I think, you know, you want to have something heavy enough so you're on the bottom because that's where the, the flounder are going to live. But at the same time, you can get your wrist pretty sore and 
wore out jigging all day long if you're out there for you know six or more hours. So if you're fishing something that's extremely heavy or you have a really heavy rod, you're going to wear yourself out and you're going to be uh, you know thinking afterwards, wow, why did I do that? Oh, totally. I, I'm I'm turning into this older guy, and I, I really spent a lot of time scaling back my gear. Like I'm using a, a rod that's 4.4 ounces. I'm using a reel that's six ounces. I, I, it's it's 11 ounces total with everything on that on that setup. And I'm pulling in. I've caught a I've caught a 60 pound ray on that same setup. So it's it's a plenty of power there. It's just a lot of finesse, and I, I like the finesse game more because I like my body to not to be aching as much when I'm leaving. I'll blame you there. Now, do you have any, uh, any other fish that you target on, on saltwater other than flounder that you, that you enjoy? Do you get into striped bass or anything else like that? I've actually never caught a striped bass before. Um, you know, I know plenty of people that have, but uh, I've never been able to, to catch on myself. Can't say that I've really targeted them a whole lot either. Um, but you know, something I would certainly like to do at some point. Um, I would say outside of flounder, black sea bass are my favorite other favorite saltwater fish to target. Uh, last year, went out on a trip out of Ocean City, Maryland, and the whole boat I was on limited out. Um, you know, so that was a great trip. Filled up the cooler with some good, good eating sea bass. I brought them home. Um, got a couple other trips planned for this year to go down there as well and fish for some sea bass. So I would say they're my they're my next favorite. Um, caught my first tog was it two years ago. I think that was pretty cool. Just fishing off of some rocks on a bulkhead, and I uh, was amazed at how how hard that fought. But, um, yeah, other than that, you know, it's kind of unfortunate that I don't get to do more time saltwater fishing. Uh, if I lived, you know, another hour, maybe hour and a half closer, I would be down there all the time. I think you live pretty close to me. You got to make that happen, brother. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I hear you all the time talking about, you know, fishing sod banks or fishing from, yeah. from shore for, for Flanner. I'm like, oh, that's, that's making me really jealous right now. Yeah. I really wish I was out there doing that. Well, let's, yeah. let's link up, man. Let's do it. Definitely. We, we, de- we definitely got to change that this year. Yeah. No, we'll no, no, no striper yet. Uh, uh-uh. that's not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> you're going to have to, you're going to have to hop on my boat. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to drag you out for a whole day of freaking top water striper fishing. And then, I, uh, uh, who knows, maybe we'll put you your first uh, convict on the boat. Hey, that sounds perfect to me. I've actually, now that you mentioned that I've tried sheep's head fishing, uh, <laughs> once or twice down there at the inlet in ocean city, Maryland. And, um, the rocks, the rocks were killer. That's, not, that's tough, man. I I've only caught one there and that's a, that's a different way to fish for them than any place else. I've caught them from the bridge there. Um, without, without issue. Um, my, my goal was like, okay, I've caught these on a boat. I've caught them in a kayak. I got to get one on foot. And I finally did, but like th- that, those guys that fish the tips of those jetties for those, those sheep's head, those guys are absolute assassins. They've been doing it forever. They have specific techniques. And even if you sit there and, pick apart every last detail of their video. You, I can't duplicate it. I don't understand it. I, I, I get out there. I get so frustrated. I'm like, I'm going to the bridge. I'm going flounder fishing. Screw this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been staying next to some guys at the inlet. And, you know, if you stay down there for a couple of days or a week and you walk the inlet, you can see it's the same guys that are out there all the time. And they've got very specialized equipment and they're mm-hmm. landing some monster sheep's head. And I'm looking at them thinking, I just got snagged for the sixth time in the last hour. And here they are with, uh, you know, this huge long rod doesn't even look like it's possible to catch a fish on and they're pulling out monsters. Yeah. They're using, they're using like uh, surf rods. It's, it's nuts. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a cool thing to watch when they, when they get in the, get in the mix and get like, get in the flow of it. But geez, I, I, I don't have that kind of, there's a lot of skill involved there that I don't have. Like they notice like the tiniest little thing and 
Not for me. I, I, I'm going to do it at some point again because I'm, I'm just, I hate being at a disadvantage at anything. But God, that, that I caught burrfish, I caught puffers, I caught little tog, little sea bass, and these guys are catching monster sheep's head. I'm doing what I believe is exactly the same thing as the next guy next to me. So who knows? Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a challenge for sure. And something that I haven't been able to conquer myself out of all the different types of fishing that I've done. Now we, we had the, the sea bass opener just happen. We have the fluke opener coming. What, what, what kind of tips do you have that could help people catch more sea bass, more fluke? You know, I would say that if someone is in a situation like myself where they're not living down near the salt all the time, you know, that they've got to schedule it out ahead of time, make a trip down there. Um, you know, make the time for it. There's many times where I think, wow, I'm going to have to get up really early in the morning if I want to go down and fish saltwater. But in the same time that it takes me to drive down there, I could be sitting on the couch for three hours or two hours, whatever it is. And so, you know, just make the time for yourself, make that trip. And, um, you know, if you're going to take a charter trip, check out some of the uh, local like community groups on Facebook. That's a great way to try to find out, you know, charter recommendations if you're looking for that. And, um, you know, I would say if you make the day trip down, watch the tides, maximize the effort that you're going to put in. There's some spots where I fish from shore that I know the best possible fishing is going to be at high tide. So I'll try to time when I'm going down to meet up with that high tide. So I'm maximizing my efforts, giving myself the best chance to catch fish uh, because I know I don't get to do it that often. Yeah. And then on those three hour trips, what are you going to do? You, you can listen to Tide Chasers podcast, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we, have enough, we have enough podcasts to last you a three hour ride. Yeah, we, we got some content for you to listen to on those three-hour trips. Yeah, absolutely. Get, get ahead of the game, you know, listen to that podcast on your way down. So it will already be set in your mind all the <laughs> tactics and stuff. Hey, when I'm not out fishing, I'm thinking about fishing. I'm talking about it. I'm listening to it. People around me, they probably get tired of me talking about fishing so much. Yeah, I, I feel you. I feel you there. My, my wife will walk away from me. Uh, I'll be having a conversation about fishing. She'll walk away and like, I'm like, I wasn't done talking about that <laughs> <laughs> you got any so you said you have a couple future trips planned what, what what do you got coming up that you're looking to get into got a lot of exciting things planned for this summer uh definitely the biggest opportunity is i'm going to icast in orlando in july right. yep i um well actually was supposed to go last year i got a media badge to go down to icast um but unfortunately it was moved to just an, an online format uh, this year, they're back in person in Orlando. So i uh, got everything booked up. Going to be going down there and looking forward to taking part in the, in the show. Um, also, while I'm down in Florida, I booked a charter trip to go out for Snook. Um, yeah. I've watched enough Bill Dance saltwater on Saturdays and Sundays mm -hmm. to think about going down there to Florida to fish for some Snook. So I'm going to be doing that. Uh, looking forward to it. And then in August, I'm going to be going up to the Nantucket Shoals to fish for some of those monster fluke Jumbo that are up fluke. there. Very nice. You got some nice trips planned ahead of you. Yeah, it's been a busy year fishing-wise. Each year seems to continue to get a little busier as I get myself more involved with things and um, you know try to ramp up my own fishing. So I've, I've got a lot of exciting things planned for the summer that I'm looking forward to. You got to, uh, once we get off, off of here, we got to talk about how we can get one of those badges next year so we can bring Tide Chasers podcast to ICAST 2022. Definitely. Yeah. I can uh, fill you guys in on how you go about getting a badge um, and getting down there. I'm sure it's, it's going to be an opportunity of a lifetime for me to go down oh. there uh, as well as some, with some other guys, Bobby's, I think actually going to be going with me as well. Um, so 
I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be an awesome opportunity to get to talk to everybody down there and see a whole different side of the industry that uh, you don't get to see if you're just out, you know, fishing by yourself or, um, you know, watching things on YouTube. Yeah. That's something I've always wanted to do is uh, attend one of those in person. So then we can, uh, then we can all make plan a day to go back, go out to Sebastian Inlet. Cause that's my home waters. Nice. Let's do it. Yeah. That'd be great. Um, one question I always ask all our guests, if you had, if money was an issue, plan, uh, time wasn't an issue, what would be your ultimate destination fishing trip? So my ultimate dream fishing trip uh, would have to be to go somewhere. I'm not really sure where that would be to catch mahi on light spinning tackle. You know, I would love to go somewhere where you can just, um, you know, pull up on a spot you see them all in the blue water, toss, toss that line out with the spinning gear and pull them in. I've only ever caught one mahi before, and that's on a tuna trip I took many years ago, and it was on a really heavy rod, and it basically just skipped along the surface as I reeled it in. So I'd love to have the opportunity to go out there because that's probably one of my uh, favorite fish that I've never actually gotten to dedicate a trip to Target. Hey, Dan, I think we can make that happen. We know a captain that uh... – I was going to say, Captain Rick Smith. Of, uh, never enough. You know, his podcast yeah. just dropped today. You know, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a dream, dream trip. We have a local captain here that's pretty dialed in on Mahi offshore. So, I mean, we got, maybe we can set up the, a little Mahi trip between the three of us with Captain Mike. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, I'm in for that. That's That's been one of my like top of the bucket list uh, trips for me to do. And I guess landing a, a 50, plus, 50 plus inch muskie would be something that I would really like to do someday, you know, join that uh, group of elite anglers that have landed one over 50 inches. That'd be really cool. Amazing. Uh, what is your biggest so far? Um, my personal best was actually my first ever muskie that I caught. Um, it's actually a, a pretty funny story about it. So I'm out there fishing for, for muskie and I look across the lake and there's one swimming on the top of Marsh Creek, almost like an alligator. I thought, okay, that's a sign. That's a sign that today's going to be the day that I'm going to land my first muskie. And, uh, I don't know, about half an hour later, I got into one, I, I pulled it in. It was a, it was a monster. Didn't get a measurement on it though, because I didn't have the right net, wow. went to net it and musky. I mean, they fight hard when they're in the water. Don't get me wrong, but they really go nuts when they break the surface and you try to get them in a net. And this musky actually broke my net. So in the chaos of it, breaking my net and then trying to get it unhooked, uh, without a net, it slipped out of my hand. And there it went before I got a measurement. But I would say, based on the other one I caught, this first muskie was at least 40 inches, if not more. Nice. Um, now, the one I caught last year, I was able to, I had the right equipment, had the right net and everything. I measured it. That was uh, 38 inches. So I would say that, you know, that, that's the one that I've got a good measurement on. But the first one I ever caught was bigger than it. Nice. It's a quality fish. That's a good fish. Yeah. Definitely a good fish. Uh we're just starting to get to the end of this and we're going to wrap it up pretty soon. But um, we know that you have a fishing blog and uh, let us know about it. Tell us about it. Tell us your little fishing blog. Let the viewers and the listeners know uh, where they can find you with your uh, social media. stuff. But let's uh, first, let's discuss this fishing blog that you have. Absolutely. I started a uh, fishing blog website called Real Lines Fishing Co. or Fishing Company. Um, so... I was looking for a way that I could get more involved in the fishing industry, you know, be able to share some of the things I've learned or show my, some of my experiences with other anglers. And, you know, there's a lot of different content out there about videos and people producing videos. And I thought, well, you know, there, there's not a whole 
there's not, at least in my mind, a lot of great sources where you can go uh, read about people's experiences or, you know, get some tips from someone who is, um, you know, fairly newer angler, maybe on the same level as many of us out there. So I started this uh, Reliance Fishing Company, um, you know, started out as a blog, not really sure where it's going to continue to go and grow. You know, I'm open to many other ideas. We just started it here in the last six months. Um, but I usually write articles about what I've been doing or things I've learned along the way. So you can go to uh, reallinesfishingco.com or follow us on uh, Instagram or Facebook at reallinesfishingco to check out all of our content, um, articles and uh, photos about what we've been doing. And uh, it's been great so far about the, some of the responses I've gotten. And I'm looking forward to continue growing it and seeing where it's going to take me. Very nice. Well, Tyler, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Um, you why don't you give your personal Instagram uh, handle as well and uh, any place else that our listeners can find you? Sure. So my personal Instagram is at TM Wilchek. And then, like I said, they can follow me on uh, at Real Lines Fishing Co. as well. And I want to thank you guys for the opportunity to be on. I've really enjoyed listening to uh, Tide Chasers. If you guys have gotten started, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be on here today and, and chat with you guys. Of course, man. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You guys, Dan, you ready to wrap it up? Yeah, let's wrap her up. <coughs> All right. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to thank uh, Tyler Wilczek for joining with us today. Um, once again, if you guys have any questions or, you know, if anything concerning the show, you guys want to talk to him privately, uh, just reach out to him on his Instagram, message him. He's a very friendly guy, very knowledgeable just to let you know, he's a social studies teacher for high school kids. So he has the patience, but yeah, just, <laughs> just reach out to him. Uh, if he has anything he could help you with, he'll definitely will check out his uh, blog. Um, besides that, once again, they, uh, if you guys haven't already done so, please make sure you like subscribe, leave us a positive uh, feedback on one of our uh, platforms. Um, it gives us, makes the algorithm help us out a lot. Um, Facebook is tied Chasers podcast. Instagram is tied underscore chasers so uh besides that how do you think this whole uh, podcast went today dan it was good a lot of good content we we got to to hit on a number of different fish fisheries which is nice so it's always nice to be able to give something a little bit different to our listeners so it's not the same stale content which we've heard that that's a problem around here you know that i've had so many people send me messages saying you guys are exactly what we needed for, for this area. You guys are doing exactly what we needed for this area. You guys are great. This is exactly what we always wanted. All the other podcasts for our area are just stale and running out of content and talking about the same stuff over and over and over. So that's the goal. We want to bring, you know, new content, new, new opportunities for different kinds of people coming on. We're going to have a fisheries biologist on. We want to have, you know, uh, pot, like a, a, a ranger on like a, uh, a DNR employee on like, yep. it's not going to be the same old stale content. We, we we're looking at new, new opportunities to bring exciting, knowledgeable guests to our listeners. And we just appreciate all of the feedback and, and uh, your guys are helping us grow. So we really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure doing this so far. Yep. And um, listeners out there, if you guys know someone, or if you, uh, you know, someone that has knowledge about, you know, a certain species waters, or lakes, or just a really good fishy person, have them reach out to us. Uh, we, we don't, we don't deny anyone, you know, as long as you know, their knowledge is there and they're a very fishy person, just reach out to us. Um, if they, you think they're going to become a great guest, um, tackle shops, uh, lure makers, you guys too, you know, if you guys are out there 
um, reach out to us. You know, we, we'd love to put local talent, local guests, local people on uh, just to get you guys out there, help, help fellow anglers become better fishermen. Like in the end goal of this type chasers podcast is um, we just want to make everyone a better fisherman, whether through us helping or other guests coming on to help and educate you guys. Like in the end, as all of us, uh, we're just educators. You know, we just want to educate you guys on proper fishing technique, proper fish release, conservationists, and just having fun doing it. You know, it's fishing is a thing that just for us, for me and Dan, especially it's, it's a separation from us, from our daily lives. You know what I mean? It's one day, an evening, we can disappear from all the, the chaos of work and things like that and just disappear for a day into the water, you know, just for a day, the, the, the wind rustling, the waves crashing, the birds in the background, you know what I mean? It, it's to us, it's, it's would be just like practicing yoga. You know, it's just complete silence. We enjoy ourselves. It, it breaks away the normality of life. And we think it's a great hobby for anyone to pick up. You know, it's, there's, there's no gender in it. You know I mean? There's no such thing as, a better fisherman, a better male fisherman, a better female fisherman. We're all fishermen in the end. And it's, it's a great way to enjoy the outdoors. Totally agree. And race isn't a thing. Anybody can pick up a fishing rod and catch a fish. It's just how much do you want to learn about the fishery? How much do you want to learn about your craft? Just like any other hobby you have, you know, if you put your time into it, it's going to reward you coming back. So we just love it. I mean, I, I was watching a video today of someone flounder fish and I heard the, the seagulls in the background. It got me all excited. Like it's just those little things. And, and you're driving through, you know, certain towns at low tide and you smell that marsh mud. It just brings it, 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 it brings you, it makes you feel alive for people like us. So totally. Yep. Exactly. Well, um, well I guess that's right. Uh, we're going to wrap it up with the, another awesome podcast, buddy. Yeah, man. Thank you. All right. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for once again, for listening to us. Make sure you uh, check us out on our social media a little bit earlier that I mentioned. And uh, well, for our next guest, besides that, uh, have a great evening out there and tight lines. Tight lines, everybody. We're very approachable. So don't hesitate to send us a message if you have questions. So please don't please don't feel like we we wouldn't be willing to help you out. Just send us a message. We'll get we'll get you some info if we can. OK, thank you, everybody. It's been All a pleasure. Right. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you.